The following program does not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Reality Radio 101, its advertisers and sponsors, or its listening audience. Listener discretion is advised. This episode of the Urban Forestry Radio Show has been brought to you by Stark Brothers Nurseries and Orchards. Two centuries of fruit tree expertise. Welcome to the Urban Forestry Radio Show, here on Reality Radio 101. In this radio show and podcast, we learn about fruit trees, permaculture, arboriculture, and so much more. So if you love trees, and especially fruit trees, or if you're interested in living a more sustainable life, then this is the place for you. I'm your host, Susan Poisner of the Fruit Tree Care Training website, OrchardPeople.com. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner. To contact Susan live right now, send her an email in studio101 at gmail.com. Now, your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Susan Poisner. Hi, everyone. A few years ago, I went out to a local nursery and I bought myself a lemon tree. Now, that sounds all well and good until you realize that I actually live in a cold climate. Lemon trees can't survive our cold winters here in Toronto. But my goal was to grow that little tree indoors in the winter and outdoors in the summer. It was an experiment, and it was a really fun one. That's because there is nothing that smells as magical as lemon tree blossoms. And to see the baby fruit growing into full-grown and delicious lemons was so gratifying. The problem was that each year my little lemon tree got bigger and bigger, until finally it was taking over the small room that I'd put it in. And so, despite the beautiful blossoms and delicious fruit... After a couple of years, I kissed that little tree goodbye and founded a new home in someone else's house. Now, as it turns out, my lemon tree experiment did not have to have a sad ending. Today, I'm going to talk to Byron Martin of Logie's Tropical Tropical Plants in Danielson, Connecticut. He's also the author of a book called Growing Tasty Tropical Plants in Any Home, Anywhere. So it is possible to grow tropical fruits in any climate if you know what plants to buy and how to care for them properly. So we're going to chat about that today. Now, I'm sure that during the show, you're going to have questions for Byron or comments about the show. So if you're listening to the show live, send us an email with your question, your comment, or just to say hi. You can send that to instudio101 at gmail.com. So if you do, we will enter you into today's contest and you could win a copy of Byron's book, Growing Tasty Tropical Plants. So send your email to instudio101 at gmail.com and remember to include your first name and where you're writing from. So let's dig into today's topic. Byron, welcome to the show today. Thank you. 
So you heard my story, Byron, earlier in the show. I had a somewhat fun but failed experiment with a lemon tree here in Toronto. What are the most common mistakes that people make when they try to grow tropical fruiting plants in colder climates? Um, I think that the biggest issue, of course, is with any plant, you need the light level um, to maintain it. And then secondary, um, as we're growing container plants, they have to have accurate or the needed watering cycle to keep them thriving. And then the third, of course, being the temperature that they're grown in, depending upon the species. So, you know, many people listening to the show will say, oh, my gosh, well, what light level do I need? I have a window. That isn't that good enough. Um, how much um, how many hours of light a day? Um, yeah. So what do you mean by a good light level? Well, of course, all plants have um, their own uh, light needs. But generally, if we're trying to fruit plants, we need um, some direct sunlight. So in that case, it's a uh, southern exposure or a southeast-southwest exposure. Um, sometimes you can grow plants fine in less light, which would be east or west or maybe even north, but then you're going to diminish the ability for the plant to flower and uh, fruit. Uh, of course, there's always instances where plants can be grown outside for the summer and moved in for the wintertime where they sort of hibernate or stay static and then they're moved out again in the summer. And that does work for some species. Yeah, I always wonder about that because, you know, here, you know, with my lovely lemon tree, so it really, let's see, the window was uh, east-facing. No, wait. Yes, it was east-facing. So it got, you know, that much light. But then in the summer, it's out in full sun. And you think it would be shocking to a plant that's not really used to, um, you know, having a limited amount of sunlight during the day. Um, there's the maintenance level for plants. And, of course, for those of us in the northern um, temperate areas of the country, our light level actually gets so low that a plant won't even grow at the depth of winter, which is December and um, January. So it's really a holding pattern no matter what you're doing. Mm. Um, and then, of course, um, as the season progresses and light level comes up, even an east window can grow plants fairly well. Um, as again, as I mentioned, a lot of the um, light is um, predicated upon whether it'll fruit or not. So obviously plants that are in lower light have a more difficult time as far as citrus goes, they are very well adapted to this um, indoor window situation and outdoor in the summertime. So, yes, yeah, so citrus, and in terms of citrus and other um, plants, how important is it to choose the right cultivar? Or can you randomly, you know, go to your, your plant store and just pick one? Or do, do you have to carefully consider which cultivar, which variety of that plant you're going to choose? Exactly, and uh, that's one of the reasons why we wrote the book and our experience with growing uh, fruiting plants in containers. As a wide, there's a wide variety of um, species and cultivars in every genera or every species that um, will adapt to a container or to the home environment and those that won't. And some of the limitations, of course, are the size of the plant. Um, it's hard to grow trees that grow to 60 feet in a small container and get them to fruit. Not necessarily impossible, but it can be more challenging. So our work over the years has been trying to select those plants um, in the many different species of fruiting tropicals that actually do well in containers. 
Aha. And do you do you guys buy in these cultivars or do you develop cultivars yourself, you know, across pollinating different plants? Like how does that how does that process go? Uh, we don't actually, I can't say I've ever done any hybridizing, although we do breeding here at Logis of, of fruiting plants per se. Uh, most of ours is searching things out and selecting them. Um, and of course, when you get to know a plant, after you've grown it for a while, you know the pollination needs of it, um, as well as the cultural needs. Yes, exactly. Um, I just, we just got an email from Roger uh, on Howe Island, Ontario. Question. Logies doesn't ship to Canada. Is there a good place where I can buy tropical plants in Canada? I wonder if you I know. don't really have any answer to that, and I'm really sorry that we can't ship into Canada. Uh, we used to years ago, but um, it became um, too problematic with the movement of mail. So I do know that if you search online, there have been a few companies there. I haven't looked recently that were selling tropical um, fruiting plants. Um, they may still be in business. This was probably four or five years ago that I looked into it. Um, so I certainly do an online search for Canadian suppliers as such. And I'm sorry, but um, at the moment, it's not something that's going to um, uh, come forward immediately anyway in our business. Mm-hmm. Yes, and, and to to Roger, if you find a place that's good, I know there is a place in Toronto somewhere, I can't remember the name, then email me. I would love to know info at orchardpeople.com so I can share that information when we post the podcast of this show. We have a question from May. I have a nearly 60-year-old grapefruit tree here in Toronto. Oh, my goodness. That I grew from seed as a kid. It has never bloomed. Can I graft a branch from another citrus tree? Would that produce any fruit? My tree is inside in the winter with extra light and on the back deck in the summer. Wow, what a great experiment. Um. I, I really love that. Um, congratulations for 60 years of culturing a plant and still having it. And the answer, of course, is yes, you can graft a branch. Um, most of the citrus that, or all of the citrus that we grow, are um, clonal propagations, either through cutting or grafting, and that gives you a much quicker flowering and fruiting plant. An example for your grapefruit, if you had started with a graft, um, 60 years ago, it would have probably fruited in two or three years. Um, we had a tangerine seedling in our greenhouses that um, went for 60 years and it finally did fruit. Um, it was passed along to us from a friend of the family, and it took it that long to um, come into fruit. So where would she get a, a branch to graft onto her grapefruit tree? Well, you're um, you're going to have to find somebody that has a grapefruit that fruits. Um, and if certainly if you were nearby Danielson here in Connecticut, I would give you some cyan wood is what they call it to do the grafting. But um, being in Canada, you need to um, find somebody that's growing uh, fruiting grapefruit, and there you can um, uh, get your cyan wood to do the graft. So a couple of suggestions on my part is um, that there is a group called the North American Fruit Explorers, NAFEX, and they have a Facebook page, they have a website, and that's fruit growers from all over North America and beyond. So you could probably find, put out a notice saying what you're looking for, and you could probably get it. 
And also, I know in Allen's Gardens here in, if you're anywhere near Toronto, we've got a garden. Um, I think they've got some tropical fruit there and maybe they would give you a cutting. So that's kind of a fun experiment. You've got to tell us how it works. I'd love to know. We've got an email as well from Chuck. Hi, listening from Vancouver, BC. Where can we get Byron's book? P.S. Love Byron's accent. (laughs) That's nice. (laughs) So where can people get your book? It is a really fun book. I I really have enjoyed reading it and looking at it. Um, I... We can we sell it at Logi, so you can go to our website and we can ship it to you. Um, I believe it's probably on Amazon, so those would be two places to get it. Um, not yep. sure where else. We do sell it here, though, at the greenhouse. Okay, so that's ship. good. And you can ship to you can ship books to Canada. Yes. So, and here's an email. We've got a lot of Canadian emails today in the beginning of the show. Mark sent an email. Hi to both of you. Mark from Montreal. My apartment does not get a lot of direct sunlight. Is it possible to replace direct sunlight with artificial light? If yes, how many hours a day? Thanks. Good question, Mark. That is a really good question. Um, the answer is yes. And um, generally in lighting... Um, you give them 16 hours a day of, um, of dire- direct um, artificial light on the plant. And even though you may have a window nearby um, where they are getting some light coming in, you want to keep that light on during that 16-hour period. Um, the only variable in that is if you need something that has to flower on a shortened day length. So then you need to follow normal photo period or have your light on when the sun comes up and turn it off when the sun goes down. Hmm, maybe get Generally, because we do use artificial lighting a little bit in the greenhouses, generally it doesn't work quite as well as full sun, but it will um, do the trick in terms of keeping your plant growing and keeping it thriving through the wintertime. On that same track, we have an email here from Norman in Toronto. Can Again, he says, can you supplement indoors with LED lighting? If so, have you done it and tested it? And can you recommend the spectrums? So do you have to consider what type of bulb you're using? Will it make a difference? Uh, Yes. I don't know a lot about LEDs, um, other than that they're used in the cannabis industry quite a bit. And people are using them in indoor growing. We don't use them in the greenhouses because of the expense of putting the units in. Mm. Um, But in horticulture, there are... Um, growers that have put them in and installed them and when you're growing plants you want a very broad spectrum of light you don't want one single um, wavelength coming in like a normal um, led light and they do make them for horticulture i think if you um, investigate a little bit online you'd find all the information you'll need for um, doing something like that Okay, and we have another question from anthony and anthony where are you from again you are from Oh, my goodness, you've written us before. Oh, it starts with a B. I'm sorry, Anthony. Anyways, you didn't write it. But, Anthony, what about pollination of indoor plants? I always wondered that with my lemon tree, how it pollinated itself. Um, What about pollination of indoor plants? Do we have to choose uh, self-pollinating plants, or do we have to do it by hand? Thank you, Anthony. Um, There are... There's some variability in um, plants and their ability to pollinate themselves in an indoor environment and some that um, can benefit from hand pollination. 
uh, generally like your lemon tree there, it will um, self-pollinate. Um, the miracle fruit that we have, which is um, wind-pollinated, actually, you need to rustle the branches when it's in flower. And then um, there are times when a paintbrush is very good. When you can get it the midday and the flowers are open, you can go from flower to flower on certain types of plants. It's worked for us on um, the cocoa, uh, the theobroma, the chocolate tree, and it's also worked quite, quite well for um, avocados. Hmm. Yeah, avocados. Oh my gosh, can you imagine? I would love to grow those inside. That sounds great. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Danielle writes, hi, I'm in Woodbine, MD. Now, Gary, MD. Gary's Maryland. My, Maryland, thank you. Gary is American, so he knows all these short forms. Um, I'm in Woodland, Maryland, and wondering what some of the easier tropical fruit trees are to go. So let's go into the nitty gritty. What are the beginner ones? What's the easiest one to start off with? Um, I actually think a lemon tree. Um, as long as you have a sunny window, um, the lemon or the lime is a good plant to start with for two reasons. One, um, they bear very young, and um, both the lemon and the lime fruit um, almost continuously or flower almost continuously throughout the year, and they grow uh, continuously. And this is um, different than our other edible citrus like grapefruits or oranges or tangerines. Um, they also can handle a wide variety of temperatures, so they can be grown in a warm house, they can be grown in a cooler house without any problem. And um, we were talking about pollination. They do self-pollinate, so there's really no need to be fussing around with trying to get them to self-fruit. Um, the other one that comes to mind is the coffee tree, which is a very good indoor plant and um, is very easy to grow under lower light. We all know shade-grown coffee, and so shade-grown coffee is actually grown under the trees, and in our homes we have a lot of shade. So if this was something that would do very well in an east to west window uh, during the wintertime, moved out in the summertime, of course. And they can become quite prolific in the um, beans or the cherries that they produce once they get older. So really, for me, a coffee tree, what a great idea. But really, how much coffee are you going to get out of your little houseplant coffee tree? I mean, will you get, you know, a cup or two out of the results? Um, you probably get more than a cup. Um, large trees, generally, we don't grow them any more than five or six feet and then we prune them back so you don't want them to get so big that they overtake the house and coffees also respond very well to pruning um, when the trees are in fruit you know there's a good um, quart or two of beans or cherries that you can pick off of that and so you distill that down and you've probably got um, a cup to a pint of um, of hulled um, coffee beans and then of course you have to go through the roasting process so there's quite a few cups of coffee there. Um, I'd the, love um, to know. The trick, of course, to making good coffee is the roasting process, which mm -hmm. if you don't have a lot of experience in it, um, it can be uh, an interesting journey. Yeah, I was just wondering, how will this coffee taste compared to your favorite coffee from your favorite coffee shop or, you know? But I guess just it's the fact that you grew it yourself. Whether it's perfect coffee or not, you did that. You grew those beans and the interesting thing about coffee is it's not only the coffee that you get from it, but it also goes through this, these flushes of flowers, usually once or twice a year. 
and those flowers are intensely fragrant. So when your coffee tree is in flower in the house, it really fills the uh, growing area with fragrance. Which they is... also um, have, you know, very dense, at least the Arabica forms, have a very dense growth habit to them. So um, they become these, when they're not in fruit or flower, they become these beautiful indoor specimens, usually grown with a central leader and lateral branches, sort of like a Christmas tree. Um, so they do make a great indoor specimen, even when they're um, just being a plant. I think it's such a fun idea. With regards to lemons, I've always wondered that when I have managed to, when I did buy the lemon tree, it was a Meyer lemon tree. And why are those so popular? Are they just uh, a, a cultivar that kind of can be smaller and more compact for a home? Or is it because of the flavor that they're popular for houseplants? Uh, the Meyer lemon is actually not a true lemon. It's a hybrid between a lemon and a sour orange. It was imported into the country during the turn of the last century from China. Um, Meyer has a richer taste to it. If you have the two lemons together and you cut them open, there's a significant um, difference in the flavor. Uh, Meyer being more lemony, I guess, would be the way to say it. They also have um, more cool tolerance. So lemons are lemons, and, and many of the limes, like key lime, are very sensitive to low temperatures, whereas the Meyer lemon can actually take some freezing. This is in areas where they grow them outdoors. Um, so for those two reasons, and I do think that um, for the culinary use, they become quite popular um, probably in the last decade or two, where more and more people were seeking them out um, for eating and so on. Yeah, because you can't really, I don't think you... Can you buy them in the supermarkets? I don't know if, you know, if it's common. But I guess, again, it's fun to have an interesting cultivar. You grew it yourself, and you can do fun things with it. So, yeah, Mark wrote back again from Montreal. Can your guests talk a bit about fertilizers, please? Do citrus need special fertilization? How about other plants like guava and pomegranate? And the second question, I believe fig trees will not produce indoors. Any other plants to avoid cultivating inside? Good questions. Um, plants need fertilizer, particularly those of us that are growing um, in containers. The only way that plant is going to get its nutrients is from you, the gardener, whereas plants that are outdoors can always have root systems that are expanding into new soil. And, of course, there's a... Um, you know, there's a buildup of soil and nutrients just from the normal process of um, season. Um, generally, um, I always recommend an organic fertilizer, granular fertilizer, um, for two reasons. They are less likely to burn plants in containers and um, a little, being a little gentler on the root system. Um, it also supports um, ecological um, growing and um, and the environment when we demand that from the um, state of commerce. So in terms of um, the nutrients, you want to make sure that uh, your fertilizer has a balanced uh, ratio of nutrients, and that doesn't mean it has to be like a 10-10-10, but make sure that you're not lopsided on the um, nitrogen side. That tends to induce leaves rather than flowers. Make sure that the numbers are fairly uh, uniform. Um, there are plants that don't do well as container plants to fruit indoors. Uh, figs can actually fruit very well in uh, containers, but they do like that cold weather during the winter time. So 
ideally, an example of a fig, um, you can grow it in a pot and you can um, successfully fruit it, but it's not something that you want to keep in a 70-degree house. It would grow for you, but it really likes that dormancy or that rest, and then the, the initial growth that comes out right after that is where your figs start to form. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have actually a while back, and uh, Mark, you may want to go back and listen to the show that we did on figs, and that was maybe a couple of years ago, but it was a really good show. Lots of details about uh, a friend of mine, Steve Biggs, who grows God knows how many figs. He leaves them in his basement in the winter and doesn't do much with them and puts them out in the summer and has a fig harvest like nobody's business in Toronto. Amazing. So I'll tell you what, let's let's have a little uh, few hear a few words from our sponsors. There are more questions and I want to dig into some specifics on specific types of interesting fruits you can grow indoors. Um, you had one in your book, peanut butter fruit. Is that yeah, is that a real thing? That's a here. thing, yeah. huh? I got to know about that. But anyways, um, Byron, can you hold on the line for just a minute? Okay, wonderful. So in a minute, we're going to talk about some interesting fruits, kumquats, avocados. Can you even grow chocolate at home? Wow, that would be fun. Um, So you are listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show and Podcast, brought to you by Stark Brothers Nursery and Orchards. This is RealityRadio101.com, and I'm Susan Poisner, author of the award-winning fruit tree care book, Growing Urban Orchards. We'll be back right after the break. Stark Brothers is primarily a direct-to-consumer marketer of fruit trees, berry plants, nut trees. We do this on a national basis. We're the largest as far as what we do, and we've been doing it for 200 years. The company started in 1816 when James Hart Stark brought his family and a satchel full of apple science across the Mississippi River, settled here in what is now Louisiana, Missouri. The big first apple for Stark Brothers was the Red Delicious Apple, and it started in 1893. And then 20 years later, in 1914, the Golden Delicious Apple was mailed to the facility here. Two-thirds of all the apples eaten in the world today are cousins of these two apples. Essentially, they have the DNA of the Red Delicious or Golden Delicious Apple in their DNA. We have about eight acres of warehouses, and we have between 350 and 400 acres of field production going on every year, which is split into two crops, the crop you're budding and the crop you're selling. We have about five acres of greenhouses. We offer a wide variety of product. We're growing woody fruit trees, small fruits, raspberries, blueberries, knockout roses, kiwis. There's always a new product coming out or a new technique. E-commerce has changed our business model completely, and we recognize we're open 24-7, and the customer wants their merchandise faster and sooner than they ever have. What works well with us is that, one, we're centrally located, that 75% of our customer base is within two days' time in transit. We'll send an email on a Monday, and if you place your order today or tomorrow, you'll be planting this weekend. Stark Brothers Nurseries and Orchards. Learn more at starkbros.com. If you're an arborist, master gardener, or landscaper who's keen to learn fruit tree care skills, check out orchardpeople.com's Certificate in Beginner Fruit Tree Care. 
Not only does our intensive online training give you the skills you need, but we'll also give you a certificate that you can use to claim continuing education credits from the International Society of Arboriculture and from other professional bodies. Learn more about continuing education at orchardpeople.com by visiting orchardpeople.com workshops. Welcome back to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, right here on Reality Radio 101. To get on board, send us an email right now. Our email address is instudio101 at gmail.com. And now, right back to your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Susan Poisner. You're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show and Podcast, brought to you by Stark Brothers Nurseries and Orchards. This is Reality Radio 101, and I'm your host, Susan Poisner. In this show, we talk about fruit trees, food forests, permaculture, and arboriculture, and thanks so much for tuning in. Today on the show, my guest is Byron Martin of Logies Tropical Plants in Connecticut. And in the first part of the show, we talked about growing tasty tropical plants in your home wherever you live. And as you probably know, lemon and lime trees and other tropical plants don't thrive outside in cold climates. But Byron Martin says if you have a sunny window in your home, you too can grow tropical fruit. So today uh, we have a contest that's happening today. And um, if you have a question for my guest today, you could win a copy of his book, growing tasty tropical plants in any home anywhere. So my guest is Byron and you are on the line. And by the way, if you want to enter the competition, just email us your question to instudio101 at gmail.com. And remember to include your first name and where you're writing from. So we, Byron, we talked a little bit about, you know, easier to grow plants like lemon trees, even a coffee tree might be interesting to grow. Let's talk about some interesting options. And I also got an email here from Cliff who asks, what can you tell us about kumquats, especially Mimi? I don't know if I pronounced that right. M-E-I-M-E-I. And then Cliff asks, can you smoke any of these fruits? I have no idea what he's talking about, but maybe you do. <laughs> that was smoke? As in yes. I don't know what Cliff is up to in his spare time, yeah. something about smoking no. fruits, but uh, okay. very strange. Um, kumquats are really great um, uh, citrus to grow in containers. Um, you're going to get a grafted plant when you buy them, and you don't want to grow them from seed, although kumquats will actually come into fruit faster than the grapefruit. Um, there are four varieties of kumquats. And I believe that he's probably talking about uh, Miwa, M-E-W-I-E, I think is the way it's pronounced okay. or spelled. Mm -hmm. And that is actually um, a kumquat that is sweet through the entire fruit. So the normal kumquat that we see in commerce is Nagami, and that has a sour interior and a sweet rind. Whereas the Miwa actually is sweet like candy all the way through. Um, and there's also a variety called Changshu, which is um, a much larger form of the Miwa. The Miwa is actually not as 
easy to cultivate and does have issues in um, cultivation, whereas the Nagami tends to be a much stronger grower. And I believe that's probably the reason why we don't see it. Um, its availability and also its uh, availability in terms of fruit in the marketplace and also why it's sort of a lesser grown cultivar um, as a plant. Now, I don't think I've ever tasted a kumquat. What, what I understand they're little tiny, little mini citrus fruits where you can eat the whole thing, the skin, everything. Is that what it is? Or yeah. Yes. Um, they're small fruit, probably about an inch and a half long, oblong. The nagami is oblong. Um, we have a tree in our retail greenhouses that is probably one of the oldest in the greenhouse. It um, came in in the 1930s, and it was given to the family by an elderly woman. So it's um, right now it's probably well over 100, 125 years old. Hmm. And um, it covers itself. In, they're prolific fruiters, um, the kumquats are. And in the wintertime, right about now, usually around Christmas, the tree is just dripping with fruit every year. It's interesting that the flowers are very, very fragrant on that, and it's a little bit off-cycle to most citrus. It flowers in the summertime rather than the spring or late winter. The fruit is, um, on that particular cultivar, is very tart inside like a lemon, and yet when you eat it, you can eat the entire fruit with the skin, which is sweet. Um, and, you know, they're quite good. You can actually find them in the stores, and they ship them up from the south um, during this Christmas season. So if you had a little plant, a kumquat plant in your window, you know, not a huge tree, would you get a decent harvest out of it? Or are you going to get like, you know, three kumquats a year or something? No, you would get quite a few kumquats. Um, You know, a a four or five foot tree, which is about all you could probably fit in your window, um, would probably give you three or four quats when they're in full fruit. And, you know, again, it's not something that you move out in the summertime and they set fruit during the summer and then you move them in for the wintertime. So when is harvest? Very strong growers. When is uh, the harvest then? Sorry, the harvest would be in the winter then or? Yeah, they're usually around Christmas. We still have them right now. We still have our tree still has fruit on it. Of course, everything that's within reach has been picked off by this time of year. But up in the top of the tree, it's still loaded with fruit. And what about something, oh my goodness, dwarf pomegranates? Like, that sounds to me like it has to be a pretty big tree. Um, well, actually, it's not. Dwarf pomegranates um, are actually great bonsai subjects because hmm. they, um, being dwarf, they grow quite small. Um, the problem with the, there's two things about the dwarf pomegranate. One is that um, they are sour not very sweet the fruit isn't and that's typical of a lot of um rogue um pomegranates that are grown from seed and such uh, sweetness is something that like in many fruit has been selected um the other thing is pomegranates the type we buy in the store generally have to go through a chill period in order to um fruit so they have to have you know 400 hours of chill and that's usually temperatures uh, below 40 um, to get the buds to form. The dwarf pomegranate doesn't. It'll fruit right in a um, home situation. Um, and, you know, pomegranates are not heavy fruiting plants anyway. If you ever see production on those in our um, western states, you know, California and such, um, the trees are not, like, dripping with them like um, a apple tree does or even an orange tree. And so the dwarf pomegranate is the same way. A young tree may hold four or five fruit um, in a container that's six feet, uh, excuse me, six inches, and the 
plane itself is two or three feet tall. Hmm. What out of, out of all these ones we've talked about, and and all the ones you write in your book, what is the most compact plant that you can grow of all these wonderful tropical plants? You can grow in a window, get a decent harvest, but small, the smallest thing you can grow. Um, let's see. Um, we have a very interesting um, plant called um, the Australian beech cherry. It's a Eugenia Rinwatiana, and it's kind of obscure, but it is really a great plant for containers in terms of the amount of fruit you can get off of it and um, the size of the plant itself. Uh, the plant in a container for us never grows above three, three and a half feet tall, and that would be an older specimen. The only challenge to it is that it's grown from seed, and so it takes a few years before you actually can get um, production off of it. But they have a shiny, hard leaf, which um, lends to uh, growing under um, lower humidity and, and having a certain amount of drought stress. They're native uh, to northern Australia and to some of the um, islands around Indonesia. And the beach cherry is that they're actually found coast, close to the coastline, so they have a fair amount of salt tolerance to them. The plants that we grow, our mother plants that we grow, can have, you know, hundreds of fruit on them over a period of a year. And it also the fruiting goes on for a long time. Um, I think we just harvested our last fruit um, probably about a month ago. And then by the time we get into spring, this thing will stop putting out fruit. And then another flower cycle comes by and they put out more fruit. It's in the myrtle family. And some of the myrtles, uh, fruiting myrtle type plants or in the Myrtaceae family have to have cross-pollination. This one actually does very well in terms of self-pollination. That's actually one of my favorites. The only challenge, as I mentioned, is it does take a while from a young plant to get it up to flowering si- and fruiting size. Hmm. Well, it sounds like a good... And sorry, the, the, what does the fruit taste like? Is it a sweet or a sweet fruit? or The, the, the fruit is a little round, um, like a cherry. It's red. And it's very sweet, has a large seed inside, probably larger than a cherry, um, but it has a lot of sugar to it. So um, it's really a delight to eat them. And um, in our work here, we save all the seeds because that's how we reproduce them. So sometimes it's a grower's job to just go in and eat um beach cherries for a while and collect the seed. <laughs> That's a nice job. <laughs> that sounds pretty good. Um, we got an email back from May. Um, she was the one who wrote us about her uh, 60-year-old grapefruit tree that she grew from seed. Anyway, she says, I have found a lime tree at Plant World on Eglinton between Jane and Royal York. That's here in Toronto. She said, I didn't buy it because it was over $100. So we were talking about where in Canada you could get uh, this type of tropical plant. What are the prices like? You know, is it a big investment to get a tropical plant to to grow at home? Uh, That depends upon um, the size that you're buying. So a $100 um, lemon or lime tree is probably a pretty good sized plant that's been grown for a number of years. The longer a plant is grown, the more um, the cost is and the more expensive it is to the grower. So certainly starting, if you're a gardener and you love watching plants grow, which most of us gardeners do, um, starting with a smaller plant 
can um, you know be rewarding and also cost effective but it's not unusual for very old container plants to be as expensive as that as a hundred dollars so well, you would expect a big tree out of out of that um, well let's come up we're coming up to a commercial break and and we'll chat a little bit more further folks send in your emails if there's anything specific that you want Byron to talk about in the last part of the show. Um, but Byron, you're going to hold on the line for a couple minutes. That's okay. That's okay. Okay, great. You're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show and Podcast, brought to you by Stark Brothers Nurseries and Orchards. I'm Susan Poisner of the Fruit Tree Care Training website, orchardpeople.com. This is Reality Radio 101, and we will be back in just a moment. In healthy soil, there's so much activity going on. Microorganisms thrive, and good bacteria feed on sugars that seep out of plant and tree roots. In return, these bacteria transform nutrients in the soil into fertility that our plants can enjoy. But what if you don't have perfect soil? Those friendly bacteria may not be active, and your plants and trees may not thrive. There is a solution, though. Earth Alive Soil Activator is an organic biofertilizer that contains three carefully selected bacterial strains that will make nutrients in the soil available to your plants. And your plant or tree will thank you with better growth and a better harvest. Earth Alive Soil Activator has been shown to boost yields in crops including avocados, grapes, strawberries, and even guavas. Go to earthalivect.com to learn more about it and let our friendly bacteria bring your growing spaces back to life. If you're thinking of planting fruit trees and you're looking for a wide selection of cultivars, consider Wiffle Tree Nursery. Our 62-page full-color catalog includes 300 varieties of fruit and nut trees, berries, grapes, and other edible perennial plants. Not only that, in our catalog, we help you through the selection process with tips and advice about all aspects of growing fruit trees. You can learn about adding nitrogen-fixing plants, rootstock choices, and even about planting a windbreak if you have a windy site. We're a one-stop shop as we sell fruit tree care books, pruning tools, organic sprays, and natural fertilizers. We're located in Alora, Ontario, but we can ship all over Canada. Call us at 519-669-1349 to order your catalog. That's 519-669-1349. Wiffle Tree Nursery. Call us today. Hi, I'm Mark Cullen with some news about a wonderful lineup of garden supplies and garden tools that will absolutely knock your gardening socks off. They're called Mark's Choice, and they're exclusive to home hardware, 1,100 stores coast to coast to coast. Mark's Choice features great quality products that will not only last years, but in some cases will last a lifetime. Look for my various garden gloves, Stainless steel garden tools, stainless steel digging tools, my new garden backhoe, and many, many others. As a matter of fact, there's over 160 different products in the Mark's Choice lineup. I'd love you to try them all. 
but start by sampling one that appeals to you. Drop by your local home hardware, have a look at the Mark's Choice lineup of tools and garden supplies, including my line of garden soils, and decide for yourself. Great quality, lasting quality, and a great gardening experience. That's what I strive for with Mark's Choice. Look for it at Home Hardware. Welcome back to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, right here on Reality Radio 101. To get on board, send us an email right now. Our email address is instudio101 at gmail.com. And now, right back to your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Susan Poisner. You're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show, brought to you by Stark Brothers Nursery. This is Reality Radio 101, and I'm your host, Susan Poisner of OrchardPeople.com. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Now, in the show today, we've been talking about growing tropical fruits wherever you live. And I'm talking to Byron Martin, owner of Logie's Tropical Plants, and he's also the co-author of Growing Tasty Tropical Plants, in any home, anywhere. Now, you can still win a copy of his book if you send us an email today during the live show. All you have to do is send us an email with a question, a comment, or hey, you can just say hi. Send the email to instudio101 at gmail.com. And remember to put your first name and where you're writing from, and you could win a signed copy of Byron's book. So, Byron, let's just talk in a little bit more detail about what's involved in caring for your tropical plant. You know, I grow fruit trees in my local park, in my garden, and there is so much involved in fruit tree care. You've got to prune them annually. You've got to feed them annually and and more so. You've got to consider pest and disease problems. Um, So how, to what extent are these still issues when you're growing your tropical plant indoors? Uh, They are all issues, but then some are greater than others depending upon what you grow. Um, Pest and disease would be an an example of that. Um, Some plants are prone to um, certain insects and to to a lesser degree some diseases, while others tend to be pretty free of it. Uh, We did mention coffee that has a very resilient root system. Uh, So root disease, which is usually one of the bigger problems in any plant in a container is really not an issue with a coffee plant. Um, Whereas citrus, you're talking about lemons, they can actually have a lot of problems with that and that's up to the grower to be able to culture around that um, as a way to um, keep the plant growing and be healthy. Well, you'd think you'd think in Toronto, for instance, here in Toronto, I grow my lemon tree, I bring it outside, and we don't have lemon trees growing outside on the whole. So would there even be pests that are attracted to these plants? You know, they'd have to uh, fly all the way. Goes, mm-hmm. um, generally, the big challenges in citrus growing are um, scale, which if you grow it outside in Toronto, you're probably not going to have problems with that unless it's, there's an infected plant nearby. Um, and then we have mealybug, which is, you know, the nemesis of all of us that grow container plants. That, again, is a bug that has to be brought in on something. So a plant that you got that had it got near that citrus tree and jumped over to it. 
And the third one is our spider mites, which um, are, you know, outside in the summertime and often get on the plants um, during the summer. And then we bring them indoors. Now, outside, there's biological controls. There's predators that are feeding on them and so on. When you bring them in, that usually shifts the environment so that they become a problem. Generally, what I recommend is to do a preventative spraying with um, an oil, ultrafine horticultural oil or neem oil. Um, before you bring them in, give them a couple sprays in the um, late summer and then move them inside. And that usually arrests most of your insect problems. And that would be an example of one plant um, that you could work with. Now, don't many of these insects, they also get into the soil. So you can spray your plant, but they might be happily living in the soil of the potted plant. Um, generally, that's not an issue. I mean, in horticulture, container horticulture, we do have some soil insects, um, the most annoying of them are fungus gnats and shore flies. Um, they do feed on the roots to some degree. Most of them are living on the organic matter in the soil. Um, and that's something that would obviously be something you could pick up from outside and bring it in. Um, both of those insects, as soil insects, um, can be managed simply with dryness. So if you regulate your watering properly, you bring the plant down to dryness or near dryness between waterings, soak it up good and then let it go through another dry cycle. The um, larvae cycle of those two insects can't thrive and that diminishes them. It's always a wet, damp soil where um, they become a problem. Um, other than that, there's really not a lot of soil insects that um, bother plants in containers. I'm sure there's some grubs that would get in in the summertime, um, you know, like uh, rose chafers and um, other such things, but generally they're not really an issue. And what about pruning? So how important is pruning? And I'm talking about pruning the, the top of the tree, not the roots. Right. So uh, pruning is as important. It's probably not, well, it's not as important as when you're growing fruit trees outside um, in terms of fruit production, but um, pruning has its place in a container um, plant mainly because it will do two things. Um, it can create form for you um, in terms of the beauty of the plant, and it also can limit its height. So, but that would become um, specific to each um, uh, species or cultivar. Um, for instance, olives are really great plants if you've got a cold place to um, winter them over in, and by that I mean you'd need to have a room that, or a grow room that got down to near freezing, preferably below 40 uh, during the uh, winter time. And then um, after you grow them for a number of years, these plants are gonna get so big, you can't even fit them into their grow space. And um, that actually takes some pruning to head them back, but they flower on the summer's growth. So you have to be like any fruit tree that's outside, if you're pruning in the wintertime, you have to be cognitive of where your flowers are going to form in the springtime. Yeah, so you have to really understand a little bit about the, the sort of the biology of the plant, and, and you don't want to cut off all your potential fruit. Correct. Yeah. So Anthony from Baltimore wrote back again. Okay, so this is a good question. I was It's kind of linked to what I was going to ask. Do we have to transplant into a bigger pot periodically? And my part of it is, do we have to root prune to keep it small into the smaller pot? 
So uh, is that uh, a way we would... Yeah. Um, the... The interesting thing about container plants is the size of the container you grow in will restrict to some degree the size of the plant. So, for instance, if you were going to spend the money on buying a dwarf lemon tree grafted onto a dwarf rootstock, it probably isn't worth the expense, whereas a standard uh, citrus tree, lemon or whatever it is, um, grown in a container will restrict, restrict the size of the plant to a degree. Um, there is some pruning that's needed to maintain some height on it, but there's going to be a restriction. And I always go back to the example of the bonsai, which is, you know, a 400-year-old tree that's kept in this tiny little pot forever, and it's done by uh, root pruning and, and top pruning and then fitting into the size of the container. As far as root pruning goes, some plants respond very well to it. Generally, I don't bother with it. Um, we just allow the plants to grow till they fill the pot up with roots and the roots continue to grow. Um, some very fast-growing plants can actually push themselves out of the pot if the roots grow so fast. In that case, if you wanted to maintain that plant in that pot for that window, you're going to need to root prune it. And you want to do that at the very beginning of the grow season. Obviously, whenever you're root pruning, you're going to cut off a percentage of the root ball, and you're also going to trim the top back equally so that this plant isn't too stressed. Mm. But generally, I don't do a lot of root pruning on our um, pruning tropical plants. And you don't necessarily recommend that people need to keep putting them in bigger and bigger pots and making them bigger um, and bigger you plants? You only want to put them in as big a pot as they're going to fit into the space. Mm-hmm. that you're growing in yeah. and as i mentioned that australian beach cherry that could be maintained in an eight inch pot six inch pot for a very long period of time if you were going to um try something like a papaya tree um you could grow them in a tiny little pot and they'll stay as a tiny little plant but they won't really give you much fruit so you know there's variables in that um, so but, you know yeah sorry go ahead well, just always think, just always go back to the bonsai and, and how that's maintained, and that will give you the size of the container and the plant that you want. That makes sense. Now, earlier, I mentioned that as I was flipping through the book and really enjoying it, there was something called a peanut butter fruit. You've got to tell me what it is. Okay. Um, the genus is Bunchoisia. Um, it's a fruiting plant, <clears throat> I believe, from um, the New World. And um, it puts out, um, it's an upright grower with um, pointed lance-shaped leaves, and it puts out these clusters of yellow flowers, which are followed by um, these red fruit, probably about an inch, inch and a half long, um, that have a sweet um, outside pulp that sort of is like peanut butter. I, <laughs> I wouldn't buy it to think that you're going to really get the peanut butter out of it, but it's a name that got tacked onto it. Um, they're quite good eating, and in our culture here, um, they produce a seed, but it's not viable. So most of the interior of the plant is um, uh, pulp rather than seed. Um, they're very good eating. Um, they don't produce very well unless they get to be big plants. So if you had a standard windowsill and you were growing it. Um, the fruit production on it's going to be somewhat limited as opposed to having a conservatory that you could grow it in and allow it to get, you know, eight feet tall or so. 
I, I just have this, um, I can just imagine that working at your nursery must be the funnest job in the world. Do you guys spend all your time just eating tropical fruit that you grow yourself? Is that what the job is? Because it sounds <laughs> um, fun. I eat a lot of them, for sure, but um, um, it's a lot of fun working here, for sure. Um, not only the fruit, but just all the plants we grow. Yeah, big playground. Well, let's take a minute and let's find out who won a copy of your book. I think we got lots of emails today because everybody's excited to see it, and it is a super fun book. So I'm just picking a name out of our little bucket here. Oh, okay. My Reet. So May. I don't know May. Is it May or May? I don't know. Um, she is the lady that wrote about the um, grapefruit tree that she grew from seed and that is many, many years old and has never produced fruit. But now she'll be able to grow whatever she wants because she's going to have a copy of your book, Growing Tasty Tropical Plants, and I think it might even be signed. So congratulations. We are going to get your email and we'll get your address and we'll send you a copy of the book. And Byron, thank you so much for coming to chat with us on the show today. You're welcome. That was great. Yes, and thank you for your book and, and all the resources. And we wait for the day that you also can send your stuff to Canada. That would be fun. So that's good. Oh, I think we lost Byron. Okay, thank you, everybody, for tuning into the program today. That's it for today's episode of the Urban Forestry Radio Show and Podcast. I hope you enjoyed, and if you wanted to enjoy it, I hope if you want to listen again or download other episodes, you can find them all at orchardpeople.com/podcast. You can listen to previous episodes. We have an episode on figs. We even have an episode on lemon trees. You might want to listen to if you're interested in tropical plants. And if you're ready to up your fruit tree care game, you might want to check out my online fruit tree care training course. My students include home growers, arborists, master gardeners, and lots of other people. The course is great for both beginner and intermediate level growers, and you can learn all about it at orchardpeople.com workshops. You've been listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show brought to you by Stark Brothers Nurseries and Orchards. This is Reality Radio 101, and I'm Susan Poisner from orchardpeople.com. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I look forward to digging into a new fruit tree care topic with you next month. See you then. You've been listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show on Reality Radio 101. To learn more about the show and to download the podcast where I cover lots more great topics, you can visit orchardpeople.com slash podcast. The show is broadcast live on the last Tuesday of every month. And each time I have great new guests talking to me about fruit trees, food forests, and arboriculture. If you're interested in learning more about growing your own fruit trees or just about living a more sustainable life, go to orchardpeople.com and sign up for my information-packed monthly newsletter. If you like this show, please do like our Orchard People Facebook page. You can also follow me on Twitter at @urbanfruittrees. Thank you so much for tuning in.
It's been wonderful to have you as a listener, and I hope to see you again next time. Thank you for listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, right here on Reality Radio 101.